Humboldt Holding Up is brought to you by the North Coast Co-op and Cypress Grove. You know, Goff as a, a Humboldter, a Humboldtian, a Humbush, I don't know. One of those. Yeah. <laughs> there are a few things that I always have in my fridge. And uh, one of okay. those is a package of Cypress Grove goat cheese. Yeah. Really? Is that true? Yeah, always. It's okay. locally made. It's delicious. Uh-huh. You got it. You have to have it in your fridge. Find it at local retailers or online at cypressgrove.com. Okay, I'll do that. And speaking of cheese, did you know, Steph, that the North Coast Co-op has its very own cheese-centric podcast? No. Okay. Yes, it's really true. Everyone has a podcast now. It's called Cheese the Day, the North Coast Co-op Cheese the Day, where you can listen uh, to cheese nerds talk about all things cheese. Find it on all your podcast streaming services. It's humble holding up, and here's how it works. So we, we, what we recommend is that if, in order to properly listen to this podcast, you want to take your edible and then wait uh, about a half an hour for it to kick in before you you engage with this content. So if you haven't done that, take your edible, pause it, and come back. My name is Andrew Goff. <laughs> I'm Stephanie McGarry. We should put that at the beginning of every episode. It's a disclaimer, yeah. <laughs> It might be more enjoyable if you do that. We're just saying you might be more interested, but especially today, right, Andrew? So as we know, cannabis is a big deal here in Humboldt County and has been for forever. Uh, But these days, our region, you know, finds itself as a little bit of a crossroads where this plant that, you know, has been synonymous with Humboldt and used to make a lot of people tremendously wealthy is just not as in demand like it used to be in our in our current post-legalization world. So we're going to talk about that with today's guest, which is who, Steph? <laughs> Today we are joined by Jesse Duncan, who has been writing a column for us, for the uh, outpost, for uh, about a couple of months now, called The Cannabis Conversation. If you haven't checked it out, uh, make sure to do that, because uh, Jesse knows a lot about the the cannabis industry. He's a lifelong Humboldt County resident and also a retired financial advisor and a full-time commercial cannabis grower. Um, He's also been involved in, uh, you know, cannabis consulting for a long time, was the creator of NorCal Financial and Cannabis Consulting that helps small farmers improve their cultivation business and financial skills. Yeah, and we've really appreciated uh, having his column on Loco. Um, and so without further ado, I say uh, we get him in here. Let's have a cannabis conversation. Oh, there we go. Hey. I see a face and hear a voice. Yeah, so, Yo, as I thanks said, for reaching out. Oh, absolutely. As I said, it would have been nice to uh, meet you in the flesh at the uh, Suspend Measure S thing the other day. Uh, I, I, I don't know how we would have coordinated that, but uh, I'm glad that this uh, worked out and that you were willing to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Did you have fun at the rally? 
Uh, fun. I don't know. <laughs> that I... Yeah. He fun was there fun. for work, Jesse. So that's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Not I I I had a blast. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, so we 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 want to get to you know your your cannabis column and and your involvement in the industry, but I I think it's pertinent that we you know kind of start with that uh, event that we just attended. Um, so you know this suspend measure S rally uh, at, at the courthouse. You know, I think in a lot of ways kind of encapsulates our, our current uh, cannabis moment locally. Um, I mean, like, you know, the nuts and bolts of Measure S are one thing, you know, cannabis folks are are looking for some some tax reprieve at the county level um, at a time when the price per pound is, is hovering around five hundred dollars. A lot of people are struggling. Um, but putting aside Measure S for a minute, you know, I think we can just say that there's, you know, a lot of fear and a lot of uh, uncertainty in, in this world right now. And I wonder what your takeaway was from that event and how it illustrates where we're at with the state of weed in Humboldt and California. What, what did you feel there? You know, I really did. Uh, I felt that there was a real outpouring from the cannabis community. I thought that there was a real sense of camaraderie, that there was a sense of kinship. Uh, people are scared. Um, I run a no-cost consulting platform in the off-season where I speak with small farmers and help them with business and financial matters. And it's gotten to a point where people are concerned not only about their livelihoods, but being able to maintain their properties. Uh, it's a very heavy time in the space. And I think that the fact that the group came together, it was a peaceful demonstration, and really speaking to the fact that the regulatory structure is broken. If we go back a few years when all of this was really happening, we, in essence, at the time, were begging for the very right to exist. And the carrot that was thrown out to the regulatory bodies was indeed tax revenue. But as we've seen, and we've learned this from other industries previously, if you overtax, uh, that's a tough recipe for success. And we're seeing that play out right now in real time. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, this current situation is not it's not a total surprise. Right. You know, I feel like the more clear eyed people, even before legalization, would have predicted that Humboldt would become maybe a less attractive place to produce this product uh, right. when the day came that there was less importance on hiding uh, its production. I don't know, like what what could we have done differently? Did, did we drop the ball? Was there something, you know, like in like Measure S seems like you know, just a very small part of this. Maybe it's the right. it's the thing that we can control control uh, locally or or speak to. But what, what, what do I you think, think you 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 nailed it. And and this is something several years back I wrote about in a blog post. And essentially, we had a whole lot of years where Humboldt County, the Emerald Triangle, was kind of the only pony show in terms of sort of commercial cannabis production. A lot of producers felt that what they were producing, which in hindsight you know, it was a lot better than it really was, is we see a proliferation of indoor and mixed light product that has a, a real a great amount of bag appeal. Sun-grown humble flower just isn't quite the sell that it once was. And let's not forget mm -hmm. that both Estelle Fennell and Sheriff Hansel both claimed back in 2016 that this industry would be out of the hills in five years. So I think this is a natural progression and my message to folks is if you're not a real Jedi Knight producer in that top 10 to 20 percent, right, it's the 80-20 rule, right, uh, not all of us are going to make it. And I think that we're facing a really uncomfortable washout and an adjustment for Humboldt County that's going to be uncomfortable as well. Yeah. 
But, you know, it's like it's not the first time that we've seen uh, prices really go down. And you nailed it. Back in 2017 and 2018, just post-legalization, we did see a real swoon in prices. We closed 2016 with second round depths around 1900, opened up 2017 at 11. So that was sort of the first real big red flag. Uh, Fast forward a year or so uh, into the back end of 2018, 2019, we had a lot of manufacturing capacity come on within the state. There were now new buyers for products. So the value added crowd, the folks making edibles and salves and, and hash oil and the rest. So there was a pretty nice bid in the market there for a couple of years. I think what is startling folks and what's causing a lot of uh, this fear and trepidation is the fact that the money sound cannabis. We know that there's now multi-billion dollar mergers and acquisitions happening all the time. The scale and the ramp up with the production here in Cali with people now running 5,100 acre scenes, uh, that's got folks concerned. It got real, real quickly. And so right now, barring sort of a national marketplace, uh, I really think that this is here to stay. And, And I don't think a national marketplace is going to be the immediate solution that everyone thinks it will be either because some states will seek to protect their own producers. I think that that's a complicated story that's going to unfold slowly. One one of the speakers at the uh, event uh, this week that really, you know, just kind of tugged at the heart springs, I think her name was Melanie Johnson. Is yeah. that is that right? You know, Yeah, they're and, awesome and, people, Craig and Melanie from Alpenglow. They're really and cool. The, and they're and and her kind of framing of it as just like, you know, it, it was, it was, yeah, it was heart wrenching because I don't think that she ever thought that she was going to be in this position. You know, for her, this is this is a way of. She kept saying, "You know, this is a this is our way of life." You know, this is a a, a moral issue, and I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what to what to do with it. You know, because now it now it is a it is a big business um, where it, where you know maybe it was before, but not in, with all of this regulation and stuff. And I just I. Do you have any advice for for people like that that are just you know more of a a small scale kind of operation, but that see this as their as their calling and their and their livelihood? Yeah, and I've gotten to know them recently through my interactions with HCGA. And what you'll find if you go on a a live feed from from Craig on their Instagram account that they're cover cropping the land like he's so excited pulling out a, a legume and showing you the nitrogen fixing nodules on these root zones and the way mm. that they've built up their properties, the way they love their properties, uh, planting the fruit trees, raising kids on the hill. That's a lifestyle that, that frankly, is, is one that I admire and respect. The challenge with folks like that is that they are now competing, as you indicated, in a very large pool mm. and trying to find that voice um, and hoping that we can at some point have more of direct interaction with the consumer base and trying to tell that story because it doesn't seem right now that a lot of the retail institutions are really buying it. It doesn't seem to be a big sell for them. So I really think it's a matter of creating that relationship to consumers as a path forward. Yeah, it's all it's it's all very um, romantic. And I can remember as far back, you know, over over a decade ago when we were looking forward to legalization, people talking about the possibility of, you know, weed and breakfasts and people coming up here and touring these farms and and creating this whole hospitality sector here in Humboldt that I I, I guess has kind of started, but not to the scale that I think people were hoping that it would. I don't know. Do you do you see that? 
you talk about like telling the story of of, of this place and uh, and its history. Do you see that taking off, or, or is there, are there signs of hope there? Well, that's definitely a policy priority, not only with HCGA, but more broadly with the Origins Council and others throughout California. Brian Garth, I believe, is the name who's spearheading the Cannabis Travel Association. I think there's a gentleman in Humboldt that actually okay. is doing some farm tours. I think it's a it's a great um, aspiration. The challenge, of course, is bureaucracy. Uh, right now, the floodgates just have not been opened up. There's been some logistical challenges. I think that, you know, the tracking and tracing of product, if you have folks on farm, allowing on-site consumption, allowing on-site sales. So really, it's a regulatory conversation, but it's one, frankly, I think California needs to take very seriously. I think that more broadly, like what Johnny Casali is trying to do uh, with Huckleberry Hill is to create the marijuana mountain, right? So to get partner farms that share a similar ethos, a love mm. for the environment, a love for cannabis and a love for the community. And to be able to tell that story of the world, I think it's powerful. And I think people will come. The challenge right now has been the regulatory side of that. I mean, for God's sakes, we can't even sell direct consumers at trade shows, right? Yeah. You guys m probably read about the bit of a cluster that happened at the Emerald Cup where they had a small farmer initiative and then they essentially get busted for showing their weed to consumers and everything had to go through a retail channel. They had to temporarily become employees of this entity just to sell a couple of eights of flour. So that is not farmer friendly and, and we need that to change. Right. Mm. I was going to ask before talking about this, like when you're talking about these smaller farms, like what can I as a weed consumer do to support my small uh, artisanal <laughs> weed farms <laughs> in Humboldt. But uh, if you're saying that really kind of, I mean, they don't sell directly to consumers. So like, can we go to all of the dispensaries and be like demanding that they carry more? <laughs> local no, and, and that's, I think you're or... spot on, Stephanie. The, the first thing I do, I, I tend to shop at proper because it's, oh. it's the nearest dispensary uh, to mm. my home. I consume my own flour, but for edibles and for live resin cartridges, I do. I'm also a consumer. And I always ask them when I come into the store, show me the local product. Because for goodness sakes, you see flour and pre-rolls coming out of the Central Valley and you don't see a lot of local product. And so mm -hmm. I think that we collectively as consumers can start to put that pressure on them and ask the simple question, what are the local products? Who's producing them? Why aren't there more of them? And I think the more they hear that, what is the old marketing rule? If they hear it a couple of times, then they know that a bunch more people feel the same way. And so I think that's what we could do collectively. Speak about it in print, speak about it on these types of podcasts, really cast light on the fact that there are a lot of producers and what they do is love, it's craft, and, and their heart and soul really goes into that. And it shows, frankly, in the work. Yeah. You, you talk about the the camaraderie that you you felt at that event this week, and it seen and I I was also you know I'm not in that world, but it 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 felt good. It felt it felt like a love fest, and it felt like you know everybody was on on the same page. Um, you know I think you know, historically maybe there there's been more bickering uh, between people, but I, I didn't feel any of that. Um, and it seemed like maybe HCGA, Humboldt County Growers Alliance, get, got 
was was big into making you know that event happening and has been big in in kind of corralling people in the industry locally and I, I think I saw that you you are you are a member of HCGA correct I am yeah through my no cost consulting platform NorCal okay. Financial and Cannabis Consulting Natalie and Ross are amazing from HCGA they're smart they're articulate they've got real big hearts. And they also have a real sense of, of policy and of sort of the inner nuts and bolts. And the message there has been from them, I think they're showing a lot of leadership there, is it's time for one voice, for one mm. community. Because even within the cannabis space, there were divisions. You know, you've got the, the 10,000 square foot regenerative farm, maybe looking down their nose at the two acre farm that's using cocoa and synthetics, right? So there okay. are some divisions based upon process and, and size, but it's really a, a time for legacy regions to come together. And, and that's, I think, the story they're telling, and it seems to be taking hold. Yeah, I was I was going to ask you know how what you you thought about the importance of the the work they're doing. Sounds like you're you're a fan. Like what 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 do you kind of get the sense of what the future of that organization is going forward? Well, interestingly, Humboldt uh, County HCGA became a part of a larger entity now as an affiliation with the Regions Council. HCGA is uh, a couple hundred, 275 members strong now with this partnership with Origins Council, which is Emerald Triangle, which is Nevada County, which is Sonoma, I believe. It's over 900 members strong. And, and finding strength in numbers is essentially the conversation. And as you look forward to policy objectives, Obviously, tax reduction is one of them. Market access is another. So the fact that two-thirds of, of localities in the state of California have banned commercial activity. So greater market access is a huge priority. Direct-to-consumer is a priority. Travel is a priority. So I see this type of organization becoming more and more important as we look forward. The farmers mm -hmm. need uh, full-time folks that can keep their sort of their thumb on the on the needle and and can really get out there do the lobbying and create sort of that shared collective voice that we need yeah. um as i say you know i'm 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 not in this world and and i i will say that you know from as a from the outpost like it's historically been kind of hard for us to to cover the industry because it is you know so insular and there's so many people you know trying to pitch their own it's 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 hard for us to know like who to who to listen to but i i one thing i've i've been wanting to like wrap my head around more is just kind of this this dance between people who are um in compliance in the in the legal market and people who are in uh the illicit market or the traditional market i've heard it called mm -hmm. um and just like i'm like i'm trying to put it step into shoes that i i i, I don't wear and just like I would be, I would be a little annoyed that that how prevalent the uh, illicit market continues to be, and I, I'm just wondering what, what what your thoughts on that as we you know as you know lots of people are struggling, but there's still this this giant unregulated market out there that is sucking up some of the the revenue and the energy. And I just wonder what your 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 thoughts are on on that. You know, I'd say two things. First of all, we all came from the illicit market at some point and, and everyone yeah. who's in the regulated space still knows folks on the other side of the fence but it is a growing source of frustration and july of 
of 2021, the sheriff's office estimated there's still 4,000 large scale commercial illegal grows in the county. And what I know factually from talking to people over the years is after that huge wave of abatements in 2018 and, and into mm. 19, a lot of those guys just went back indoor. So they just fired up the outbuildings again. So there's a ton of indoor production that's happening and frankly dwarfing the amount of production in legal channels. Mm. The big conversation is, of course, treatment of workers. Not everybody in the illicit market is evil, but we are seeing more and more criminal elements participating in that channel, hearing more and more stories about worker abuse, atrocious conditions, lack of payment, sort of indentured servant type. Uh, pesticide use is a real problem. So folks using microbutanol or abamectin and these products that stay in the flower for months, yeah. Uh, that's a huge concern. And then, of course, they're undercutting legal operators by approximately 50 percent. So mm -hmm. I think that story and that divide is going to get larger and larger. Uh, look at what's happening in L.A. The desert is getting overrun with these huge cartel grows. And, and frankly, it's a challenge that isn't going anywhere immediately. And really, I think that barring a, a real federal intervention here. I just don't see how these mom and pop cop shops are going to get get that under control. Yeah, there are of course those bad apples that do bad practices, like you're you were mentioning. But I've definitely read things about, like you said, more of the mom and pop um, <laughs> operations, like the people who are have are tr wanting to come into compliance, but it's a struggle for them because of the financial barriers. And I, I suppose I imagine that that some of the, you know, when you're advocating for um, changes to the regulations and maybe suspending like Measure S and some of the taxes that 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 could help address that a little bit, too. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and so to be very clear, I welcome greater participation in the legal market. I'm not one that's about barriers to entry. There's a bit of a protectionist vein that's starting to sweep across the cultivation community. So let's get licensed caps. Let's sort of create these barriers to entry. And I understand pull, pull that. Drawbridge. <laughs> yeah, but I'm really a free market guy in heart. I mean, I was in finance for 10 years, as you guys might know. So I really do believe in competition. I believe in open markets. And I want people to enter the fold. And one way to do that is to make it a little bit easier. We need to have a radically streamlined permitting process for smaller farms, say 10,000, 20,000 square feet and below. We need to make the tax burden a, a little bit less onerous. And hopefully that could expand and broaden the tax base because as you well know, the County of Humboldt and the state of California have been receiving significant amounts of money. I mean, the Measure S tax has been about 45 million to the county over the last few years. And so that's money they're going to want to hold on to. And my point there is simply, I'd rather have less of something than nothing of nothing. And, mm. and I really think that if we can broaden that tax base, get more farms into the system, that that would be a really healthy development. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe if we could be um, or attempt to be positive for a, a second. I know this is a lot of bleakness that we're, <laughs> we're discussing, but, you know, uh, a lot of people in Humboldt are, are struggling, but there have to be some people who've figured out a, a niche for themselves. Like, is, do you do you notice 
anything in common about local cannabis businesses that are finding success? You do, and I and there are some companies uh, that are doing very very well. They've been able to brand themselves. They're selling in pouches and jars at the retail level, commanding mm. much much higher prices. I just talked to a farmer recently that's talking about one thousand to sixteen hundred dollars a pound for sun grown because they've done the work and they built an Instagram following. They've gotten, you know, sort of Instagram famous and are turning out really lovely work. Um, I believe that all farmers are enterprising at some level, but I think those that have been very adamant about not just increasing the, the cultivation footprint, but getting their story told and that have been doing this now for several years have linked up with some of those key partners in the distribution end of things. They're doing well, and I would expect mm. that to continue. I do. I'll, I'll push you a little bit just because I'm, I'm curious, like who, like you, you mentioned these people that are, are doing well by pushing their, their narrative on Instagram. Can you, I mean, would you be willing to name them just so we can, I people mean, can Ridge take a look? Line is, Ridge Line's done a good job. Johnny's done a good job at Huckleberry Hill yeah. Farms. Johnny folks, at Humble, folks at Humble Trees are doing an amazing job. So there's folks that are getting exposure uh, that are, are excited about the future and excited to be in the space. And Really, I find that it's at the other end of the spectrum, um, especially folks that don't even do light depth that are just growing term plants because there are a fair amount of permits where mm. folks aren't even doing light depth. And light depth, uh, even though the prices were down, was still commanding several hundred dollars a pound greater than term flower. And so those are the operators, I think, that are struggling the most. Well, we jumped right into this, you know, deep cannabis cannabis conversation <laughs> and uh thought maybe we could you know get to know a little bit more about you uh jesse and you know who is jesse duncan and and what your uh relationship is to cannabis and your participation in the cannabis industry it's you clearly have served um many roles you've worn many hats in in this industry um so maybe you could give us a, a little bit of, you know, your your history and your current in involvement. Sure. So born and raised in Humboldt, uh, Humboldt lifer, started smoking cannabis uh, at the age of 15, which, you know, I don't recommend that that, that kids use cannabis. Yeah, we'll get I to that, to. yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. And, you know, had just a, a consumer relationship for a lot of, a lot of years. Mm -hmm. And it was in the early 2000s where I started to meet some folks from Soham. I started to meet some folks that were farming cannabis and I, I saw that they were doing quite well. I had, as I was finishing up my master's degree at Humboldt, I had a few opportunities and offers just to sidestep corporate life and, and get right into cannabis. Um, I had three children already by graduation. My wife was Central American. She was no fan of cannabis, especially when it was still illegal. And frankly said, well, you choose, you know, growing weed or your children. And so that was sort of the dynamic that I lived wow. in for 10 years. And so I went into corporate financial advising, joined Morgan Stanley three days out of school, spent three years there, then joined a private registered investment advisory team, and then launched my own company, uh, also a, an advisory firm. So doing portfolio management, hourly financial planning. Really loved the business, but my heart was in the dirt. You know, I had found a seed in a bag when I was 17. My 
parents were children <laughs> of the 60s and 70s. I'd always grown a couple of personal plants on the side of the hill. And I knew that's what I wanted to do. So frankly, in 2014, my mother fell ill with cancer for a second time, uh, then suffered a stroke and, and a heart attack and a host of really nasty health outcomes. I retired abruptly, transitioned all my clients to another advisor in town uh, and told my wife I was going to start farming for my dying mother, uh, was asked to leave the home. And I was out of the home for four months. Wow. Some of the darkest, saddest days that, that I've experienced in my life. And crazily, it was the pot plant that got me through those those periods where I was alone for the first time really in my life. And something about the grow room was just so life-giving and it was so spiritual. And I really think that farming during that period kind of got me um, through. And like a lot of other people growing indoor in Humboldt County, I eventually suffered a home invasion robbery. Yeah. And that ushered me over into the, the commercial side. So I've been managing and leading the cultivation efforts for sun-grown commercial farms since 2015. Uh, started out in the smaller 10 to 12 to 16,000 foot seams and have been managing, you know, between an acre and two acres the last several seasons. And currently actually talking uh, to a few outfits for this season. And I'm excited to make an announcement shortly, I'm sure. No. <laughs> that you brought something up that we had, um, that we were, probably going to mention uh as well because you know it kind of kind of jumped out at us in your introductory article of the of the cannabis conversation of talking about your, your wife um really hating cannabis and obviously it's caused some issues in the in the past um but it seems like this is something she still has a, a problem with. How do you, how have you found harmony? <laughs> yeah, it's a very, very interesting dynamic. And so the ground rules that we've laid for her to be sort of at least uh, at a surface level, okay with what I do is mm -hmm. legal operators, uh, you know, doing right by the environment, my employees and all the like, and not engaging uh, with the children. So I, we have nobody uses under our roof. So I'm not the parent that's getting stoned in front of the kids. I've never consumed in front of the children. They know that it's a part of my life, but it's not something that they see directly. And I think having that that barrier and that distance is, is healthy. Uh, Helma really believes in cannabis for terminally ill patients. And yeah. so and and but but aside of that has very little sympathy for any of the other conversations personal wellness doesn't want to talk about it stress mm. relief sleeping better creativity enlightenment spiritual connectedness i lose her in all of those conversations mm. but we have been able to sort of had a meeting of the minds um farming cannabis at scale is challenging for families so during that nine to ten months of the year half of the nights I'm on ranch. So it, it does put some pressure on families. And so I understand that concern of hers, but it's something that, you know, we just have to day by day. try. And that, that's so interesting because it seems like, you know, through that conflict in, in, in your own home, you have had to um, really, you know, develop a, a no bullshit ethos, you know, because you're, you're not going to get it past her, right? Like it's, right, it's, right. it's really sharpened your, uh, I don't know, how you articulate what you value about 
this plant and this industry. Yeah, that's spot on. And frankly, that's why I went public uh, with the column, the Cannabis Conversation, because for years, even my first five years practicing commercial farming, I was still lying to people about what I did for a living. It was a, mm-hmm. and I'm still a financial consultant. And and I just wanted to be in a healthier headspace overall. And for years, there's been a lot I wanted to say about cannabis in the industry and, and farmers that I know. And I mm-hmm. just didn't have a platform to do that. And so really thank you to Loco for allowing me to become a public <laughs> voice in the space. And it's something I'm really enjoying. She still teases me that she's going to start going on and trolling my articles. Um, but, but you know well, uh, yeah. we, we can't stop her just yes, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like that though that you could uh possibly have this sort of uh combative uh maybe online relationship where you write things and then she's like a trolling commenter and then yeah, still I, have a healthy i, I try to make it a point to read as few of our comments as possible right. but i'm going yeah. to pay special attention now but, to see if there's somebody yeah, yeah, throwing throwing those personal jabs in that <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while, I'll get a comment that I think is my my yeah. partner. I'm like, just write that. But you know, you you Jesse, like obviously, are really inviting the comments too. And I think that that's something you know that is kind of different about the way you approach the cannabis conversation. Is you know, you said that you wanted to start this because you really want to open up a robust conversation. You know, around the many. Right different facets of the of the industry and um and I think like Andrew was saying you know you 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 clearly have a really complex view you're not one of those people who's you know completely uh for or completely against necessarily you understand uh you know the 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 pros and cons of of cannabis and all the different different issues that go along with it um and I'm, I'm amazed that you actually found time to write the, the cannabis conversation with all of the two other things that you do yeah, the <laughs> but, awesome news is is that uh that is the one area in my life that i i believe i'm a creative yeah and so i can sit down and just essentially translate my thinking to paper Without a whole lot of hemming and hawing, it's it's sort of a blessing. Uh, I definitely do spend time each week on the column. I hear about that from my significant other sometimes. <laughs> uh, but it's something I'm passionate about and something I'm going to continue this season if, of course, the Lost Coast will continue uh, oh, to no, publish. It's something we, we, I want to love it. We I like it, yeah. Stay with. Do you feel As like... I said, it's... Oh, good. Oh, I was just saying, as I said, you know, it's... It's sometimes an area that we feel we feel weak in because mm-hmm. I, it 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 has proved to be kind of a hard industry uh, to cover from a, a reporting standpoint. So to have uh, your voice out there has been has been a really great addition. I appreciate that, and really, I think that we're having on a societal level a real breakdown in communication and dialogue. Like I said, mm-hmm. I want it to be a spirited platform. Um, I think that in life we've become so siloed whether politically or religiously or in in so many different fronts that people just aren't communicating. There's a lot of people regurgitating ideas. um, And I really think that meaningful debate is a pathway to change. And that's one thing I'm trying to accomplish with the column. Yeah. Have have you been feeling that at all? Have you been getting any of the 
the community has been amazingly supportive. So I was pulled aside by several people at the rally who I've never met who are like, hey, I see you, man. I'm reading you. I'm sharing your column with my you know, conservative parents in other states. You're doing us proud. And, and that was a really awesome, awesome experience. And there's certain things in my columns that that are controversial. You know, if you talk about the the quality conundrum, so to speak, on some farms that just aren't turning out, you know, as good a quality of product as they need. Some of those ideas are, are uh, unpopular, but I mm-hmm. try to speak the truth, at least my version of it. And mm-hmm. I'll continue to do that. But the, the feedback has been lovely. And right. I don't go through. And so I don't go through and read comments. Well, okay, um, sometimes good. She'll, uh, that's she'll smart. Show me the, yeah, the we never can the middle finger. And I said, that's the point. It's the, yeah. Everybody yeah, yeah, yeah. gets their two cents. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so what what do you I mean, what do you see kind of as as happening in the in the immediate uh, future for um, the cannabis industry locally? I mean, like I I, I noted that uh, at that rally, um, you know, it was kind of targeting the board of supervisors, and there were three out of the five uh, members of the board in attendance. I don't know. Have you have you received any indication as to um, whether they are going to win this battle? they being cannabis farmers yeah i think it's early to say what we know in the industry is that it's a heavy lift you know 45 million dollars this next round of tax payments that we're hoping to have forgiven and waived is is about a 15 million dollar bill the county isn't going to let go of that lightly we know and understand that Um, but i've got a real concern and that when i talk to farmers um, and uh, what i'm hearing there's folks that sold nothing of last year's crop. So they don't have a big pile of money to even get back in the ground this year. I talked to other scenes that are talking about maybe doing one run in, instead of two. So now they've just cut their production in half, talking about starting to cut corners, spend less on inputs. It, unfortunately, cannabis is one of those things, the more you put into it in terms of resources and inputs, the better the outcome. And so if you're gonna incur those higher labor costs, so your team could really get in there, manicure the plants, prune the plants, give them the hands-on love and attention they deserve, give them those high-quality organic or synthetic inputs. All that costs money. And so I'm really concerned, and, and I've seen this, is it can become a downward spiral. The money's not good. We didn't sell products. And so now we're going to make it less good and then hope that sells. And so I'm very concerned. And I really think that this year is going to wash a lot of operators uh, out and it's sad but i think that's what i think that's what we're facing um on the bright side of that is that through these efforts you know at a statewide level governor newsom is has pledged some support to this idea of tax reform mm-hmm. we know that the the larger players in the industry are also starting to to say the very same things that the regulatory and tax regime is not sustainable uh, so there's some gathering momentum. There's now more and more chatter about legacy farmers, about preserving the culture, preserving the lifestyle. The social equity operators, interestingly, have voiced a real interest in, in showcasing legacy farm products because mm-hmm. there's sort of a kinship and camaraderie through some shared experience there. So I think there is some positives. That's not going to save us all, and, and it's going to take time to unfold. Um, I believe that Humboldt will have an industry. Uh, none of us just knows exactly what that'll look like yet. 
Yeah. And as and looking forward, you know, uh, something you, you write about is um, national legalization. Um, and you, you mentioned how it's it's maybe that's moving slower than um, than anyone would would like. But I wonder what you what you think if and when that that comes to pass. And I assume that it will. Um, what what kind of effect will that have on on a market like Humboldt? I think that it could be very positive development. In fact, um, I've been spending a bit more time on LinkedIn. There was a poll very recently that said, given a national framework, would you consume California-grown cannabis or cannabis grown in your own state? Only 20% of those that responded said, I want my in-state weed. And mm-hmm. California cannabis was by and large sort of the winner in, in that schematic. And so what we don't know is what interstate commerce will look like. How long will that take to unfold? What kinds of protectionist measures are going to be put into place? Because as New York is building out their capacity, as Michigan and Maine and all the rest, they're going to want to protect their own producers at some level. What about California and Oregon, where we've already got these huge overproductions? Are we going to want to export all our weed but not let any you know, in uh, in terms of the import side of the equation. So I think mm. it's a complicated conversation, but I think that it, at a glance, uh, it seems positive, um, but I think that's going to take time. Biden has been slow to move. Everyone mm. knows that. Everyone thought that with a, a Democratic-led government that there would be a lot more movement, and we haven't seen it. And so, and frankly, that's got some folks concerned. And you mentioned the potential positive of, you know, if it were legalized at the at the federal level, you know, maybe some um, some funds and some some energy could be put toward really actually going after the uh, illicit market in a serious way, which would benefit, uh, you know, every, everyone who's who's trying to, in good faith, make a go of things. I think it would. And frankly, as I indicated earlier, for me, it really boils down to the safety of product. And I can share my own experience where I was smoking a couple of buddies stuff for years and years and years and come to find out that, oh, by the way, we poison our stuff, you know, and that that was an uncomfortable realization. And there's a lot of people out there that are smoking tainted flour, worse yet, extracts. And they don't even know it. So I think that in terms of product safety, uh, that's really, for me, the number one issue. Uh, we got to get uh, on top of the illicit market, make it more inviting for legal producers, folks that care about community, care about the folks uh, that are consuming their products. And, and I'm hopeful. But that needs to happen sooner rather than later, because uh, unfortunately, what we're seeing, you know, up in southern Oregon with the, the hemp farms, which are nothing more than a facade for these enormous cartel grows, what's mm. happening in the south part of the state, what's happening elsewhere. I mean, Oklahoma is now the supposed to be the number one producer of black market weed in the entire nation. Nobody Ain't knew that about something? Oklahoma, right? <laughs> Three years, I mean, 2018 yeah. to now. I mean, so, so part of what we don't know with the national marketplace is how many other surprises are there going to be? I mean, where are other production centers? Because you remember Humboldt for a long time claimed that this is the only place that you can really produce this, this lovely outdoor product because we've got this marine influence. We've got these big swings in temperature from nighttime to daytime temps. Throughout the world, there's other areas like that. 
And so I think that that's sort of the wild card and, and that could perhaps hinder the West Coast efforts just a little bit as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's surprising to me that people still like buy illegal weed. Why, why would anybody do that? <laughs> When you could just walk into a store and buy it, you tell people who are on part the street, of it is, like buying yeah. buying weed. No. <laughs> I think I can speak for humble. Like most neighborhoods have somebody growing indoor, right? right? They've got an eight lighter in the garage. You you don't really see you don't smell it because people are using filtration, and people can go get an ounce of really good indoor for 100, 150 bucks, and a lot of people are doing that. Um, but what they don't know is what's going on with the production of that product. And, and I can tell you that I know a lot of people that say, oh, no, I don't spray. Um, but in fact, they do. And so, like I say, don't take your buddy's word for it. If you're buying street cannabis, I would I would really want to have it tested. Well, and yeah. I believe in that very adamant. It's if I mean, it's like if now somebody was just like, hey, do you want to buy this weird like moonshine that I made? Like, <laughs> because it's kind of like alcohol now. It's a little off color, but you know, <laughs> give it some character. <laughs> like, why would I want to do that? I can just yeah. go in and buy alcohol that yeah, I know no, and I'm safe. With For me, it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer <laughs> that, yes, the ticket's a little bit more expensive, but going into a dispensary <laughs> right. now is a real joy. I mean, with the plethora of products that are now available it's a really cool thing it is and it's i fun. just really hope that they start um, being a little more aggressive with local product yeah yeah the, yeah people are really creative there's all sorts of yeah. you know like i i'm not a, a, a heavy consumer but like the times i've gone in i'm just like wait what is this like oh and, yeah and, and I, my mind my mind is blown by just what people have come up with it's literally like being a kid in the candy store it's exactly when you go in it's because there is candy and uh sodas and <laughs> all kinds of delightful things <laughs> so uh you know this um today this is coming out on a sunday by the way so you have a new column uh, this week, and we were wondering if maybe you could just give us a, a, a little bit of a preview of what you're going to be talking about this week. Oh, well, you well, we just did, in essence, because yeah. it's talking about methods of cannabis consumption. Okay. And so getting beyond that stigmatization of we're just a bunch of loaders passing around a doobie, and, and so it goes through inhaled cannabis, edible form, topical application like creams and salves and transdermal patches, uh, both psychoactive and non-psychoactive uh, delivery methods. And, and it's fascinating. And because of this proliferation of products, we're seeing folks that for years were very anti-cannabis, but now they can go get a CBD or a THC cream and get within 30 minutes localized pain relief it's non-psychoactive. It doesn't show up on drug tests. It's a really neat thing. And I promise you that that's better than taking pain pills. I'm a huge believer in cannabis for harm reduction. So I would much rather be using cannabis for a host of ailments rather than narcotics. Mm -hmm. And and so my piece it speaks frankly to those issues. Yeah, and I think I think you you mentioned that like it, was it is it predominantly edibles is the way that you you interact with with cannabis at this point? 
Yeah, and I'll do a live resin cartridge on on okay. occasion, but now my consumption is a fraction of what it was for, okay. for many, many years. So because, I can do a 10 milligram edible and I am happy as a clam. I've been um, enjoying Space Gems, which is an iced water hash gummy, has a bit of cannabis flavor, which I actually enjoy. Mm -hmm. uh, and they give me just an amazing full body experience, creativity, curiosity. Um, it's really, you, really enjoyable. Because you write, you write pretty openly, and in, in, in something that you know at a, at an early age, you you struggled with what you what you call an, a cannabis addiction, which I think Absolutely. is something that some people are not willing to put that put the label of addiction on it. Um, so that was, you know, I, I I find that refreshing your your transparency on that. And I wonder, just like what 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 was that like? I mean, like what, how, how did you, how did you come out of that? Frankly, uh, it was a challenge. And so they, they estimate that 9% of habitual users over time build a physical dependence to cannabis. And for me, it was exactly that. And there, they, it's normally associated with daily use of say four to five joints. So, so a heavy consumer, there were times in my life where I was doing 300 milligrams a day, which that's a lot of cannabis, yeah. you know, one gram oil cartridge in two days, uh, 100 milligrams of edibles at a whack. And, you know, at some point I would just start <laughs> to feel a little burnout with the consumption. Yeah. And I frankly, I've gone through this a few different periods of my life. Uh, so decide that, hey, I'm, I'm kind of over this. Um, it's not really working either. My energy or, or just my outlook was getting a little bit sour because I think that anything in excess can become problematic. So mm. frankly, um, you know, then you drag your feet for a, a week, you know, telling yourself you're going to quit every day, but you don't. And then I finally uh, would, would, would cut myself off cold turkey and would physically go through a very aggressive detox. Mm. Normally, I don't sleep for the first 48 hours, so literally up for 48 mm. hours, overwhelmed with nausea and anxiety, um, literally hold up in the bedroom, honey, keep the kids away, I'm sorry. And, and that lasts, you know, four to five days. And then I go through another week or two adjustment where just sort of bouts of anxiety sporadically, really weird dreams as my body is sort of readjusting. And, and then after two weeks, I feel like, you know, I'm just a normal guy again. And and now what I've just learned over time is, is for me, excessive use of anything is not helpful. And so now when I consume it, it's not every day. Um, and I can now use just a, a skosh of cannabis and, and be okay. quite satisfied. But for yeah, me, it's real. And cannabis addiction is real. It's not talked about very often, but it's true. And there is a, a growing body of evidence yeah. and, and conversation around this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I will write a piece in the next few weeks uh, about that. It's I think two okay, or three yeah. weeks out from now. You go. You got You got them all spaced out already. You got the. You got the. Yeah, I've got a list like your mind topics, and I'm just wow. trying to create the most logical flow I can. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you, you do. You are more on top of things. Yeah. Than <laughs> we don't even Steph do that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm very anal. Just so you know who I am, I'm kind of anal. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you are more organized than I. So that's mm. the the cannabis isn't consumption isn't hurting that right now. Mm. That's a, that's <laughs> what Steph, what's your what's your? I I, I tend to fifteen milligram. That, that's that's about that gets me where I want I want to be. 
Oh my gosh, oh, I don't even know. I don't go by oh, come like, on. Do I know milligrams. <laughs> like I don't know how many milligrams. I maybe ten or maybe ten. Ten. ten? <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. only time I know for sure is is like when it is in an edible or something. Well, I guess right. I, yeah, it varies okay, yeah. with if you. So I actually, you know, I I I, <laughs> I smoke you know, flowers, as we call it now. We didn't use to say that when we were kids. Yeah. Smoking flower. Um, so, you know, I took like a hit or two okay. at night and whatever All right, that all right. Be. All right mom. Once the kid is in bed most of the time, but, uh, or when she's just really, really bugging me, I gotta go in, <laughs> go in the other yeah. room for a minute. Mine is uh, only two. So like, luckily I don't have to think about this conversation yet, but it is when, when you talk about how open you are with your, your children you know, I, I really appreciate hearing that because it is something that as she gets older and older, I'm like, okay, at some point I am going to have to talk to her about this, you know, also having struggled with various addiction in the past myself, but having what I consider right now to be like a pretty healthy relationship with my cannabis use, um, you know, talking about, uh, being open about it, but at the same time, not, not normalizing it. I, I, um, you know, I, I don't know myself necessarily how to approach that. So I, uh, you know, I appreciate <laughs> your thoughts on that. Uh, you know, how do I talk to my two-year-old about cannabis? <laughs> You're going to get me thrown in jail. <laughs> you know, one thing that my folks did not do uh, with us growing up was have these kind of conversations. Yeah. The kids are going to get it somewhere. Yeah, um, and I would exactly. much rather be the one who has those conversations. You can talk about family history. Uh, my family mm -hmm. happens to be one like many that has had numerous family members struggle with addictions over the years. And I think just being real, being loving, being understanding, having the, the communication open and honest is, is critical. And also uh, having some boundaries there. And some people yeah. would say, well, it's it's hypocritical that that you're a cannabis consumer, but you don't want your kids to do it. And I said, listen, I really don't believe in using under the age of 21. Their yeah. sexual and spiritual and emotional maturity is important. And, and I really wish in my own yeah. case, I would have had a little bit more of that before I started to consume because it can complicate things a bit. Absolutely, and now the weed yeah. is very strong. And so young kids, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. You know, seventh grade loaded are probably not going to be too focused on their academic career. Right. So for me, it's, it's a matter of just being real yeah, and sharing with the kids and, and then allowing them to have that space to share back. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. I think that's a, a good, a good uh, way to approach it. So I'm going to go have the talk tonight. No, I can't. <laughs> no, no. I'll wait until she's, until she asks, but one of these days she'll, she's going to become aware of what's, of what's going on. Well, uh, well, Jesse, this, that's about, uh, this is about the, the time that we have uh, allotted for these things, but I, I want to say, like, I really appreciate, uh, your, your willingness to come on and your, and, but especially your, your willingness to, to do the column, uh, for Loco that we, we I can't say enough how much, um, we appreciate that. And I, and I appreciate you being, uh, patient. Like I, I always think with like, 
I don't want to be uncool in the cannabis realm. Like I don't, I don't, I don't have the, I, you know, I'm not in it as much as a lot of people. So uh, I, if my, if my questions are, are elementary, I, uh, you don't care, whatever. Uh, no, I thought it was amazing. <laughs> and, uh, and I was thrilled oh, to, to be here with you guys today. Yeah. yeah. No, you he guys doesn't mind talking about it to his kids. Then yeah. you won't mind talking yeah, about just, it Yeah, just treat us like you're your probably kids. Probably yeah, like, are about <laughs> as knowledgeable as your kids. Before we go, is there is there any last things uh, you wanted to say about uh, you know local cannabis industry or anything that we we didn't get to that you were? Hoping no, I would just say with? like as Stephanie alluded to, get out there, support local farms, family farms matter. Talk to your dispensaries, tell them you want to see local product on the shelf. Uh, keep doing a great job over there at Loco, and uh, keep giving me a platform. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you. All right, Thanks cool. so much, Bobby. Right. And um, and uh, apologize to your wife for us for taking up more of your time for with Loco right. and and cannabis. If I read a comment on your column, that's something like you know, and he leaves his underwear on the floor. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! You found it. Yeah. All right, Jesse. All right. Have a good afternoon. All right. Well, thank you so much again to Jesse Duncan for taking the time uh, to chat with Loco after writing for Loco for a while. I appreciate I appreciate his input. Yeah. You know, I, after uh, having that conversation, I'm like, why does it why doesn't he just have a cannabis conversation podcast? Guy, I, I honestly good, was almost thinking he's a good that talker. too. He's I was a good like, talker. should we just start? Should we just turn this into the cannabis conversation podcast? Yeah, let's, just, <laughs> let's, just, let's just give him this whole thing. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Yeah. I, I feel like he, he seems so nice that I feel like if we said that, like, hey, so we're going to just give you this podcast and you start doing it, then he might actually be like, okay. But uh, let's not monopolize uh, every waking moment of anyway. <laughs> well, um, yeah. so yeah. If you've made it this far uh, and your edible hasn't worn off yet, go uh, enjoy yourself. And thanks so much for listening. Yeah, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Well,